Bring it in. One day closer. One podcast closer to Super Bowl 56, which is crazy to think that we're like, I feel like 50 was like last year and then 52 was like last year. And now we're already up to 56. The number keeps getting up. Peyton Manning. (laughs) Seriously, right? Uh, The numbers of Super Bowls keep going up, but the podcast stays roughly the same. You heard his voice, Scotty Miller, in with me today. Uh, no veto. He's busy, but we will have him uh, before the Super Bowl for sure. We will make sure that all three of us are together for that. But, Scotty, my friend, a lot has happened since we last talked, which was only on Tuesday or Monday night. And uh, and yet a lot has happened in the NFL, and uh, we have a lot to get into. But uh, how are you doing? How's, how's everything in the Miller household? Oh, I'm fine. Everything's good. Yep, that was the least convincing I'm fine of all time. Jesus. No, man. No, no. Still morning to San Francisco? Yes. Yeah. Trying to get into basketball, like, in full swing. I've been on and off throughout the the season. Uh, But now I'm getting a little more locked in to both NBA and college so uh, that I can give you all people the uh, the accurate uh, takes that I'm so well known for on the podcast. (laughs) That's it's true. I mean, the, the nice thing is that for both of our teams, like Niners lose or it's like, all right, we well, have Steph Curry, who's the best show in the NBA. And you have a, a phenomenal team in Golden State. And then and Joel about to get traded and be. Yeah. And then like in the months since the Eagles <laughs> lost and beads not getting traded. Are you kidding me? And <laughs> beads not going anywhere, dude. And bead will even if the Embiid will be like Dirk. Like he's going to put together a bunch of incredible seasons the way he's, he's developed better than he ever has. Well, right and the <laughs> way that he's developed his game to have this mid range and he's shooting 40% from three and he's the MVP of the league right now. Um, I, I think it's, it's almost inarguable. He's won back-to-back player of the months, but he's going to put in all these really good years. I actually believe that his game will be able to age. And I think at some point, I hope in his long career, he's going to stay with Philly the whole time. He's going to go down, ta- go down as an all timer. And then hopefully we get him a ring along the way. That's that's my prediction for the career of, of Joel Embiid. Um, and I mean, this we don't talk a lot of hockey on this pod, but I don't want what happened to Claude Giroux to happen to Joel Embiid because it seems inevitable now that Claude Giroux, if he waves his no trade clause, will get traded by the Flyers this year. Uh, and uh-huh. Thinking about puck talk, <laughs> Claude Giroux, and I'm sorry we're going down a rabbit hole here. We have a lot of important shit to get to, but I'm just I want to give a shout out to Claude Giroux because he was in his first full season in the NHL the year the Flyers lost the Chicago Blackhawks in the Stanley Cup, which was 2010, the 2009-2010 season. <clears throat> right, so it's been 12 years. He has spent every year of his career in Philly. The Flyers have not been close to getting back to the uh, Stanley Cup Finals since then, and they've done a disservice to a guy that's borderline Hall of Famer, uh, if not a Hall of Famer, and one of the best flyers of all time. So let's not do that with Joel Embiid, especially when we realize that there's an MVP season here. Uh, that would be great. That would be great. But shout-out to, to Claude Giroux. If he does, I mean, he could also just be like, no, I want to stay in Philly. I don't care if we don't win. But it's almost like a dude, we want you to go win somewhere. And he, So it'll be up to him. But seeing Claude Giroux in another uniform would suck. Uh, anyway, 
like I said, there is a, a lot to get to for the NFL right now. Um, Brian Flores has filed a lawsuit against the NFL, the New York Giants, the Miami Dolphins, and the Denver Broncos. Uh, in the case of the Denver Broncos, he believes that his interview uh, was not treated seriously uh, comparative to the other applicants that year and the other people that were interviewed, claiming John Elway and the, the crew there were hungover and drunk disinterested from the night before <laughs> disinterested not really taking him seriously um this is probably the least egregious of the the cases right now i don't know how you feel scotty but again we'll yeah. we'll, dis- we'll dissect <laughs> this um the new york giants are included because uh bill belichick kind of made a boo-boo and accidentally texted brian flores when he meant to text brian dable that he had been hearing that the giants uh, have already decided on Dayball being the head coach. However, the problem with this is slip text happen. It happened before Brian Flores ever actually interviewed, implying that it was a sham interview, him being a black coach, then therefore violating the Rooney rules. Um, not a good look for the Giants, uh, a team that has historically done an awful job of hiring minority coaches. And... Um, that's obviously a case. But then the one that I think turned the most people's heads, which is crazy considering the Bill Belichick angle, like how does anything top that with the Giants? Uh, Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross has been accused of offering $100,000 per loss to go directly to Brian Flores and incentivizing him to lose on purpose to help better the Dolphins draft stock. Um And that's really interesting because people have said forever you can't tank in football because the players and the coaching staffs, there's a buy-in and there's a, there's a team facet of that game and your life, your, your playing span is so short that you have to play hard every single game, every single week. We just saw this year with the Jacksonville Jaguars beating the Colts right in week 18. So those guys, even on the worst team in football, are still competing their ass off because they're looking for either the next contract uh, or or trying to put good tape out there. This is wild because we've we've dealt with tanking in the context of the NBA for a long time, the Sixers, the process, all that stuff, which is very different than the owners bribing his coach with upwards of $1.7 million dollars to lose as many games as possible. And it feels dirty and weird. And obviously all three teams have, uh, you know, fought back against these claims and this is going to go to court. And so all this is allegedly as of now, but Scotty, we had a very lengthy conversation last spring um, around this time. It was actually last winter. It was one of our first 10 episodes and you and I went in detail about the Rooney rule and the history behind it, um, why it's important, but why it's nowhere near enough um, and, and how there's always going to be ways to manipulate it. The fact that after Brian Flores came out and said this, that Hugh Jackson immediately came out and there was a report mm-hmm. last summer about it and never got any traction that the Cleveland Browns owner did the same exact thing to Hugh Jackson. Uh, and we all know Hugh Jackson went one in, what, 32 or 31-1 or something like that in his career in 
um, in Cleveland. So a lot to unpack here. Um, yeah. And let's I'll just start kind with of give the, you the floor uh, here. I mean, where do you, where do we, where's the first bite? Let's start with the, uh, the throwing of games, uh, the accusation against uh, Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross to accuse a man like Brian Flores, who is so well-respected uh, in the, in the NFL it is one thing, but you're doing a disservice to the entire team under which uh, are in, under your employ. So to, to do that as an owner is an absolute joke. And, and it just reveals how much power owners have because look, these guys in the NFL have nothing guaranteed, nothing. Right. Uh, so the idea that you can convince a head coach who you have employed to make them or to be the leader of those men on your, on your team that you own, the idea that you can tell that guy to uh, willingly do everything in his power to make his team lose and do the opposite function of what that job is intended for as a head coach in the NFL. That's disgraceful to the game. It's disgraceful to the integrity of the, the humans that are involved. Uh, And it's, it's, there's no place for it. And it's an absolute joke. And if, if true, if true, I, I really hope that, uh, there is uh, there's an avenue by which, uh, and I, I hope he's gone. Number one, if it's true, and then uh, secondary, an avenue by which a minority owner, uh, minority in the uh, in the uh, aspect of um, uh, sociocultural uh, means, uh, a person of color, let's say that, mm-hmm. uh, could be uh, become the. Uh, owner or ownership group of of the dolphins that would be a a, a welcome change and um and yeah i just i just think it's it's so disgraceful and to not only like i said to the game um but but to the whole team and the and the the people involved yeah uh, it's just it's i mean ridiculous. I, it's funny you know Stephen a smith basically said like word for word like the same thing you know, like if this is true, then Stephen Ross needs to be removed from the league. And I don't disagree, right? It, I the big the bigger picture of all of this is that Brian Flores is is going forward with this lawsuit to try to help empower and enable minority coaches and, and give them an opportunity and give them opportunities in the front office and in you know, the actual coaching staff to succeed because you can go down the lineage of, well, how do you become a head coach? Well, you have to work with quarterbacks, right? You have to work and run offenses. Well, primarily throughout football, quarterbacks have been white historically more often than not over the the history of the NFL. And then it kind of compounded on, on itself. Right. And opportunities at the collegiate level were skewed against minorities for a long time and, and still are, and have gotten better, but still have issues with that. And it all trickles up. And to the point where all right now we're at the top, who are the most qualified people? You know, these are the people at the top. And so Brian Flores, whole, whole, you know, push here is trying to help minority owners. And as gross as the Stephen Ross stuff is, and if it's true, allegedly, um, it, 
doesn't strike me as I'm still trying to put the pieces together as to where the the racial um, part of this comes comes into it. Right. You know, because if it's a sacrificial lamb thing where it's like, hey, you, I'm asking you to lose games that way. And then next year I'm going to fire you after we've lost games and then hire who I really want to hire. But I've checked off my box. I've got my incentives for hiring a black coach. Well, um, if what, that's what, the case, then obviously it's even more despicable and, and disgusting. Right. But, and what that says to me is, is another point that, that had been brought up all day yesterday is that, and this goes across the board for the reason uh, that franchises won't hire uh, people of color in their executive roles and in, in, the, in head coaching roles and in coordinator roles and all of that is that what you're saying by not putting those people in power and then further to tell one who is uh, a head coach that has uh, the, the stage to be a leader and telling him to throw games so that you can have a better draft position. What that's saying is that you absolutely have zero trust in black men or any person of color being a leader of, of the, the 53 guys on the field. Yeah. Which again, which if, if that is, the, the cause behind it. And you're right. The, the, the fact that it's like, I'm asking a black coach to be the one that's tanking, just like, you know, Hugh Jackson was asked that. And, um, uh, there was another, uh, coach. I just, so it wasn't Lovey Smith, uh, Marvin Lewis in 2002, uh, interviewed with the Panthers and supposedly under their old ownership, who, um, I forget his name and good. It's Jerry something, but guy was a piece of shit. Um, and had to sell Jerry Richardson. And he had to sell the team. Um, it was under that tutelage. Uh, but that was, uh, they asked Marvin Lewis, who was also a black coach. So it's interesting that like there's been three cases that have come up of coaches being asked to do this over the last 20 years, um, that at least these accusations are now on the record. And only the three that we have are black coaches. So there definitely seems to be a, a connecting dot here. And look, there's more information comes out than like it could be. Um, but that would be the most egregious. If you hired the black yeah. coach, paid off the black coach to lose games and fired them. I really hope that's not what happened in Houston this past year, but it does make you think, right? They Houston knew the year was going to be a shit show. Oh, well, let's hire the lifer, the black coach who's been in the NFL and David Colley and hire him for a year. Oh, we go four and 12, even though everyone realized they won more games than they should have with that roster. And yet he still gets the can like, there's clearly a pattern there. Steve Wilkes, same thing happened to him in Arizona. Um, Vance Joseph only got two years in Denver. Like there's just been multiple examples of this with black coaches, not to say that white coaches haven't been fired in one year either, but well, yeah, there, there does seem and to be a pattern along this lines with the Stephen Ross case where it is being asked to throw games um, and then being fired after only one year. The fact that, you know, in the last three seasons we've had, Th uh, three black coaches hired and fired within a year and you know like I, I, it's and how many qualified and not hired <laughs> at any other one and, and so that kind of brings me to I, I'd like to get into the Rooney rule aspect yeah. of all of it too well and and that sets up well with the, the the next team involved here with the New York Giants where again allegedly they set up a sham interview with Brian Flores, even though they knew that they were going to be hiring Brian Dable the whole time. It looks even worse knowing that the new GM for the Giants also came from Buffalo. 
because it really does make it feel like it was a little bit premeditated. Um, but essentially here, the, the argument that Flores is making is that they abused the Rooney rule um, and that there needs to be changes in that. And in, in the way he put it, it needs to change in the owners, like hearts and their minds. Like it can't be enough that we force a rule because as we've seen, it seems like there's ways around that. So with that being said, like, go, go for it. I know you're, you're yeah. hot on this. So the Rooney rule, when it was enacted, what, the implication was that interviews would be conducted in good faith, yeah. right? It's not just about bringing in potential coaches or staff or, or executives with, the, with no intent of hiring them, as is often the case. And the idea behind the Rooney rule was to bring a diverse group of people in to teach them about the process and that they had otherwise been shut out from to that point and to give candidates of color uh, a sense of what the process is like so that maybe in the future they can get head coaching jobs and coordinator jobs and executive level jobs. Not only that, but to bring in people that you normally wouldn't have brought in to interview because they didn't look like you, the owners who are all 32 of them are, well, all but one is white. Um, but then in talking with them and learning more about them, say you're going to hire this guy because of the content of his character. Uh, maybe you were considering someone else. And this happened with Tomlin, right? Uh, Tomlin was not on the radar. Uh, I think the when he got hired by the Steelers, they they everyone in the Steelers camp had involved uh, or thought that that someone else was going to get the job. Tomlin came in, blew him away with their interview, boom, hired uh, by the Roonies for whom this rule is named, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, um, so all the rule does now in practice though, is what Flores has said all along is check the box. When in reality, a white owner who has done everything to satisfy the conditions of the rule has really already made up their mind before the person of color or a coach or executive person of color has interviewed for the job. But they interviewed them, right? So mm -hmm. box checked, right? So it's like almost every other entity in corporation and business, in at least in this country that I'm aware of, where you can, the NFL is claiming they're diverse. But um, sure, what diversity means is white guy at the top, a uh, bunch of white owners underneath him, majority white uh, males uh, that are you know, in middle management, I'll call it in, uh, you know, running teams and stuff that are sprinkled in with a couple of uh, minorities because that's the rule. Mm. Uh, and so if you're just bringing in people of color and interviewing them and you don't have the good faith basis on which the Rooney rule was created to actually see if they're legitimate candidates for a job, then you're not meeting the spirit of the rule at all. The idea is to try to promote more people of color as coaches and, and GMs. And if you're just bringing in people and, and creating these, what Flores is calling sham interviews, then you're, you're not meeting the, the, the core of that rule, of the Rooney rule. And that's without that, it's, it's really just empty and meaningless, right? Yeah. No, I mean, the, and if, if, if all of this is true too, by the way, the, the hypocrisy of the NFL, uh, and, and I'll get off my soapbox after this, but the hypocrisy of the NFL will once again be 
exposed. One, uh, for example, they came out so quickly uh, with a statement saying that all of these claims, less than 24 hours, all of these claims from Flores were baseless and without merit. It's less than 24 hours they, they said this. And, 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 and now and today they're, they're, they're doing the investigation. Well, now they're doing the invest. They said they're they're going to launch an investigation now. So how can you go into they an investigation? Spent more time in, like they spent I, more time investigating deflated footballs than for, oh, for, they for did sure. thinking about the statement that they made. For a hundred, a hundred percent, a hundred, one hundred percent, right? Like they they jumped into it like head first without like how can you start an investigation without or with already having your mind ended up on one side, you know? Like yeah. you're already defending the end of like these teams before you've even done the investigation. So then once you go into the investigation, then I feel like that kind of already like undermines the whole point of it, which is like, we're going to figure out what happened here. Now you're saying, no, like we're the defense already. And we're saying that yeah. we didn't do this and we're going to go out and prove it. Like, like it, it but just, you're checking the box of investigating it. Yeah. It, and it's so blatant so it's just too. Like it, it's the same cycle. <laughs> it was a very poorly thought. And look, maybe maybe there's legal reasons that we don't know about that they phrase certain things. Like, look, neither one of us are lawyers, and we know the NFL has the best, like some of the best lawyers in the world. And those guys are getting paid a shitload of money to put out statements like that. But so, like, far be it for me to say, like, oh, I know better than lawyers who make millions of dollars working for the NFL. I'm just saying the, just from a, a public perspective, like it looks terrible. It looks terrible for the NFL yeah. and they adequately got roasted for it, you know, because of it, look, the, the Rooney rule, everything you were saying about the Rooney rule, I, I agree is, is spot on. The Rooney rule is treating the symptoms and not the sickness, right? Like if I have a runny nose, I kind of have a runny nose for a million different things, right? But if you're only treating the runny nose, then you're not figuring out what the person's actually sick from. And that's what the Rooney rule does, right? It, it the Rooney, it's ironic that the Rooney rule is basically checking a box because the Rooney rule itself is checking a box. I don't know if that's too meta, but it, it's basically allowing and creating loopholes for team owners to remain, to continue doing what they're doing. And my guess is seeing is that we've seen a lot of stories come out over the last, you know, 24 hours since all this kind of broke about Brian Flores is that there's a lot of stories that are very, very similar to his that are known, but recognizing that Brian Flores in doing this is sacrificing his entire career. Right. And he had, a, he has an interview with the new Orleans saints for their head coaching job. Uh, I believe it was either today or it's tomorrow. Is it, was it today? Um, I think so. I, yeah. I, I was reading this story last night and he let, it was, there were also two teams. It was um, them in Houston. Houston was the other one. And he was going to go and interview for them. He Which, told, he told them ahead of time that, Hey, this lawsuit's coming out. Just so you know, if you still want to sign, you know, if you still want to interview with me, and uh, the New Orleans Saints still held on to the interview, which I respect, does not seem as though the Houston Texans are, which is, again, very, very telling. Um, the fact that Houston would pull their name out after, you know, cancel the interview after he says that versus New Orleans, who people look at as a pretty upstanding organization and say, actually, we still want to interview anyway. Because I think, again, that goes to the level of respect that Brian Flores has. But the bigger point here is that, 
Brian Flores isn't alone. And we've seen Eric Bieniemy mm-hmm. not take, you, you know, get interviewed in the cycle of coaching hires. Did he have one interview? Did he interview for a single I, head coaching job? I don't know. I think I'm maybe not, one. I thought he, he interviewed for Houston. I, I think he might have interviewed for one. But think about how crazy that is still. Yeah. Right? Like, it, one, like one interview after he's been the hottest name now for this, this is the fourth year. It was after the first year with Kansas, or I guess technically Matt Nagy was the OC for, I think, was it for Mahomes' first year? No, because Mahomes' first year was the double doink, and he was already there. So I think Mahomes' first full year starting was enemy as his offensive coordinator. Because Doug Peterson left, went to Philly. Nagy had it for a year. He goes to Chicago. Eagles win the Super Bowl, and then the next year was the double doink. Yeah, okay, so that makes sense. Either way, it is still wild to me that Eric Bieniemy is not getting a head coaching job. And I wonder if we've seen this happen in this trend for black coaches in the NFL. We've seen it go this way for a while, and we see a couple get hired and a couple not get hired. I mean, there's only one black coach in the NFL right now, which is wild. Um, I'm sorry for continuing using the word wild. It's just like it's hard for me to wrap my head around it because the Rooney rule was so shitty to begin with, and it was always so manipulable. And teams found a way to continue to do it. And I'm just, I'm very curious where this lawsuit ends and how many more stories we hear that are similar to Brian Flores, because I I guarantee you he's not alone. And his lawyers were on get up with him yesterday morning and said the same thing. They were like, we've gotten approached for, for coaches that have had the sham interviews who've gone through the same stuff that Brian Flores has gone through. And he's like, we've had a lot of coaches reach out. So like, I don't think he's alone in this. And I think it puts the NFL in a really, really tough spot moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. I, and like, look, we talked, we just talked about Eric Bieniemy, the, the offensive mind behind uh, the the Chiefs, who have been the the hottest offensive team uh, for for the better part of the last four years. And so Bieniemy doesn't even get an interview, but his associate who's the pass game coordinator gets the OC job in New York. Yeah. Tell me how that math works. Yeah. Uh, not that he's again, not that he's not qualified Kafka. He, he, I think he's probably qualified to, to get a job. I'm just saying in the circumstance, right. I just want to make that clear that in the circumstance, you're telling me that that guy's getting an OC job over Bianami getting a coaching, a head coaching job. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, yeah, the, um, the fact that guys who were that much below on the on the coaching depth chart as Bienemy yeah. have already gotten to the point where now they're contempt they're both offensive coordinators. Now Bienemy yeah. gets much more, you know, credentials and I think much more respect than Kafka's gonna have to earn that in New York. But I understand I understand your point. Like and yeah. I, I again the Rooney rule was flawed from the beginning. And the the scary part is is like, was it designed that way? Was it designed to have these, you know, these holes along the way? Because there's no question that for when it was created, it was an important thing that happened. I'm not trying to undermine the significance of it because it did help create more and give opportunities to more coaches uh, uh, and people of color. But again, using the analogy of a, like a sickness, like, you know, using nasal spray might help your stuffy nose, but ultimately there's a bigger problem going on. 
And if you're it not causing COVID. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're not going to work on the actual root cause of it and you're only going to treat the symptoms of it, then there's never going to be actual change and people are going to find ways to bend the rules. I mean, think about it this way. It took a slip up from Bill Belichick, one of the of most connected, most respected and, and, and admired people in the entire NFL. It took that guy slipping up over a text message in order to really have proof that this was going on. And that's how well they've been able to kind of use the system where from the outside perspective, we can all say like, eh, it's kind of fishy. Like Steve Wilkes gets fired. Vance Joseph gets fired. You know, uh, David Colley's getting fired. Brian Flores getting fired. It's, you can kind of see it. Right. But you're like, okay, but there's so much we don't know. Cause we're not on the inside, but the Belichick thing kind of proves that even though we may not know exactly what it is. And hopefully these investigations will bring a lot of that to light. Um, and also hope an investigation gets done outside of the NFL because mm-hmm. I don't trust the NFL to, to, you know, in that, in that case. Cause I mean, the pressure, well, how could you force out like an owner or anything like uh, Goodell's yeah. not doing that. So we're just, it, we're just in a point now where I'm like, it, it's, it's just bizarre that in order for us to, to see that there is something going on behind the scenes that we don't know the Belichick's part timeline in this helps shed a light into that where it's like, we may not, it's, it's almost like the, the recruiting thing in college before NIL. It's like, you knew some teams were getting bags and then all of a sudden, like, you know, Tennessee's literally handing out like McDonald's bags full of cash and they get busted. And then it sheds that light of like, Oh, this underground world does exist, but we just don't, you know, like we, what we thought on the outside was true. But what we've actually uncovered, we don't know everything that's going on. We don't know all the stories, but at least we know that it's there. And that's how the Rooney rule feels. We all have seen it from the outside. We've all seen, okay, these are the shortcomings of the Rooney rule, but it still seems like minority coaches are not giving the same shake. Oh, but there's so much behind the scenes. and Oh, and there's this rule here. Well, a little Bill Belichick slip up, and now this lawsuit has exposed that, yeah, there is an underbelly here in the NFL when it comes to, you know, being racially biased in their hiring process. Yeah. And, and again, it's the hypocrisy of it all from the NFL once again, exposed because it wasn't committed to diversity when Colin Kaepernick knelt down during the anthem for a belief that we found out just last year or two years ago now was absolutely true in high definition. Um, Mm -hmm. And and it, it, they weren't committed to diversity last year when the question was brought up uh, about, particularly about the enemy, which we discussed at length last year around the same time. Uh, and it's not committed to diversity now. So it's a systemic problem. And, and now that we're sort of uprooting it a little bit, I hope that uh, and what Brian Flores is doing to lead the charge kind of helps uh, to to lead the change in, like he said, the hearts and the minds of, of the people that are, that are uh, in charge here. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I, is admirable about it. And I wrote something down when you were talking about it. Right. And you had mentioned about owners having a tough time being able to relate to people that they don't look like or grew up around. And that was something Brian Flores said when he was on get up was, was that exact thing being able for owners to be able to relate with and fully trust and embrace 
somebody who looks different from them and might come from a different area, right? Like, I think everybody who's a diehard fan of the team knows, like, who's the guy that has your owner's ear, right? And for teams rebuilding, you may not have one, but like Howie Roseman is in Jeffrey Lurie's left pocket. Like, he's just, he's chilling there. He's hanging out, whatever you need, whatever you need, sir. You know, like he's, yeah, he's that kind of guy. And he's also done a lot of really good things for the Eagles and obviously the Super Bowl and everything else. So like it is, it is what it is. But one of the things that's frustrated Eagles fans over the years is that the head coach doesn't have the ear of the owner the same way that Howie Roseman does. And I, I, I think as an owner, you need to be able to have that same kind of connection with your coach and again, a problem with people of color in front office positions as well as head coaching positions is they may not be able to, you know, assimilate in the way that is going to, you know, give the owner complete confidence and trust in him just because they're different. And it doesn't, and he talked about that. He was like, I just want to, I want to be able to connect with an owner, you know, and be on the same page and, and have the, that trust and that bond and be able to relate to one another. And I think that is when he talks about like changing your heart and your mind of these, changing the owner's hearts and minds, not just putting in a rule is not treating the symptoms and instead is trying to treat the sickness. And I, and I think it's a really admirable cause. And it probably, I mean, who knows, like there might be a team down the line when this is all said and done, who knows, maybe even the saints decide to hire him. Um, that will give him a chance, right? Especially if he wins, but this could be the end of his coaching career too. And, you know, he's obviously made pretty good money and I'm sure he lives a comfortable life, but this lawsuit's not going to be cheap and he's putting a lot on the line here. And, and I really hope he wins. I'm not going to lie. Like I'm going to, obviously as more information comes in, we're going to tell it like it is and whatever's the truth is the truth. But I I'm really pulling for Brian Flores because we can't just keep like the Rooney rule again. Well, I get why it's important, but even uh, the Rooney family came out and said today, like the rule still works. And I'm like, I don't think it does. I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't think it does. And until we change the, the bigger issues, which I have no idea how to do that. And I'm just a white straight dude. And my voice is, you know, I've never had to deal with this kind of shit day in my life. Neither of you, but we're still here to be allies and, and, and try to, you know, get things to change because the NFL, you know, putting end racism at the back of the end zone. Yeah. You know, isn't doing shit. And the fact that he dropped this too on the first day of black history month, I thought was pretty awesome. So yeah. Good for him. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you said, I've never had to have that kind of courage that Flores uh, is, is currently exhibiting and will continue to Hell among no. many other. I'm charming soft, bro. Yeah. Many other thousands of, 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 black voices and, and yeah, hundred percent. Uh, so uh, kudos to him for, for doing what's right. I think. Agreed. Um, I mean, and look, look at the coaches that have already been hired in this cycle, right? Like not a single person yeah, of color, no white <laughs> right now. It's, it's, Tom, it's Tomlin. It's Robert Sala and it's Ron Rivera. That's it for Pete, for coaches yep. of color in the NFL. And we still have, the uh as of now jacksonville needs a head coach houston needs a head coach um and new orleans needs new a head orleans. coach is that mm -hmm. it we're down to just three left i think so there's been right. what seven so far 
Eight? Seriously, <laughs> seriously. Um, well, we will get into head coaches in a little bit. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back. And on Tuesday's pod, we talked a bunch about the GOAT because we thought, eh, he might retire, but we'll probably have a couple weeks. No, literally the day it came out, Brady retired. So uh, it's official. The GOAT's retired. Scotty and I will uh, reflect a little bit once again um, and uh, go over the official end of the GOAT and a new era in football. And uh, we'll get into all of that after a quick break. Let's get into it. Tom Brady, after 22 years in the NFL, some 10 Super Bowl appearances, seven Super Bowl victories, undisputed GOAT of the National Football League, has called it quits, officially hung it up. Uh, We talked on Tuesday's pod a bunch about it, so uh, I don't think we're going to have to go into all these crazy details. I did not get my list of crazy facts because I, the second it happened, everybody else had the exact same idea because we're all brainwashed to like the same content, especially in sports. Um, Here's a stat. He leads everything. <laughs> yes. It's just, I mean, don't remember, there are some ridiculous stats, but I think every podcast I listened to this week that talked about Tom Brady did this segment. And so I know I promised it <laughs> and I can even argue since I said I was going to do it, that I actually beat all of them to the punch anyway. Um, if you want to see Tom Brady, you know, crazy stats, knock yourselves out, go out and do it. Um, but it's wild. I man. like this one. I like this one. You got one. Despite playing in just one season in the NFC, Brady is tied for fourth all time in playoff wins against NFC teams. Trailing only Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, and Joe Montana. That's incredible because five of them come from the Super Bowl because they get an additional yeah. five because of the Super Bowl. Six. Six. Oh, six. Yeah, because he won six with New England. Oh, my God. that's a, What a ridiculous stat. Isn't that wild? Um, that's insane. That's insane. Wow. That's as good as any as I've seen. That's, that's incredible. Oh, here's another good one. Most receiving yards after turning 40 in NFL history. Jerry Rice, 2,169. He's in first. Second, Tom Brady with six. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a very dumb, very dumb stat, but. All right. Um, (laughs) That's enough of that. (laughs) So there's, yeah, we'll we'll move on. Um, Look, Tom Brady. I'm, I've, I saw somebody put out like a, like a, I don't know if it was the Paul, I think it was the Paul Walker meme of Paul Walker and, and Vin Diesel in the Fast and Furious. And it was like Vin Diesel looking at, and then the other, and the other car where it's supposed to be Paul Walker was like the cutouts of Matthew Stafford, Ben Roth, or sorry, of cutouts of Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton, Phil Rivers, Eli, uh, Tom, and then Big Ben. And it just, it just killed me. I just thought it was the funniest thing ever. Cause it, but it also was kind of sad too. Cause like that whole generation is now gone. Like who is the, who is the, Rogers is the last, is now the oldest yeah. and he's 37, yeah. and then 38. Russ is, and and yeah. then it's Russell Westbrook, which in my brain, I still Wilson. think of <laughs> Russell, sorry, Russell Wilson as a young quarterback. Yeah. I don't I mean, think of him as an old right? But like he's been in the league for a decade. 
this is my thing. Tom Brady warped our sense of time because he kept playing. Everyone else who came into the league when when like Tom Brady was dominant. Like think about it. Tom Brady. What Matthew Stafford was drafted first overall in 2009. So the 2009 2010 season was his first year, correct? I think so. Yeah. So Tom Brady already had three Super Bowls and had been to another one and had you know the 16 and 0 season and everything else by the time Matthew Stafford was drafted, and now. Tom Brady's retiring when Matthew Stafford finally makes his first Super Bowl and is like in his like early, you know, because I guess Stafford's older than Russ. So Stafford yeah, might be Stafford's the, 35. I think is Stafford, the second oldest quarterback in the NFL now, like I guess Fitzpatrick technically. Her cousins has got to be up there too. I, yeah, I mean, cousins was the same year as Russ. I'm oh, Stafford's sure. 33. So he's the same age. Yeah. But Russ got drafted after him. Because Russ, yeah, was, well, Russ also transferred. That's what I mean. He went yeah, from North Carolina State to uh, Russ was like twenty three when he got into the league, I think. So Russ had, whereas Stafford got drafted after his junior year. Yeah, they're um, the same age. That's that's interesting. good age thirty three. But Stafford does feel way way older, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. Well, he was with. He's, the he's, but he's been in the sake. league for yeah. But he was also in the league <laughs> for two years longer. But yeah. It, it's just crazy that we, we've hit a point now where that whole generation's gone. We uh, Rogers is the old man, and who knows? Rogers could fucking retire this year. Like, if he was just like, "Yeah, I'm done." Like, I don't think anybody I'll say would it. be surprised. I I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, yeah. Like, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Aaron Rodgers retired. I he's gotten so weird that like I don't even know what what phases me anymore. But Tom Brady slowed down our perception of time. I, I'm like Russ or did Matthew Alex Stafford, Guerrero do that? <laughs> yes that too but the fact that because tom brady was the elder statesman when already like when russ and matthew stafford got in the league and tom brady was already had won multiple super bowls three super bowls before aaron Rodgers got drafted into the league the fact that like he was already so established then it stopped my brain from progressing time for those other quarterbacks like even aaron Rodgers to me still feels like he's like 34 Right. But he's 38. Yeah. You know, and it's it's just thrown this whole curve off to where now even like the Carson Wentz's who was like a Carson Wentz is like 28 and Dak's like 28. Like that's still that's just crazy to me still. And 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 think Jared Goff, like Jared Goff's like 28. Like Jared Goff still feels like he's like third year in the league. And I, I believe whether it's true or not true or if it's perception versus reality, I don't know. But Tom Brady just never going away and defying aging and beating father time just has made all of those guys careers seem this whatever this next generation is or has been for the last like decade it's just wild man the careers that have started and failed and even guys who went on good runs like nick Foles or joe flacco like it's just bizarre matt, matt ryan is now the elder states so we have 36 oh there shit matt ryan too yeah there you go yeah. well rogers is still there but matt ryan is the next is next yeah no it's (laughs) it's nuts to think about that too right so like at the same time though it's kind of exciting especially in the nfc right even whatever rogers does uh if he goes to an afc team if he retires if he stays in the nfc regardless uh, there's a new generation coming right and in the nfc it's going to be justin fields trey lance and whoever else you know these teams 
at the uh, at the front end of the pool are going to be drafted. The Lions, for example, are going to be drafting. Uh, I'd throw Jalen Hurts in that mix too a little bit, but those are those are the new faces, right? And it, it's it's weird to think about not only Brady being gone and then being the new faces, but then like now everything gets compared to that standard, right? So is is Trey Lance going to be anywhere near Tom Brady's records? No, I don't think so. As a Niners fan, I don't, I don't, I don't want. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think I would anybody love is. that, but they're they're very different quarterbacks, right? And so the game has changed so much, and Brady had defied so much of that game changing around him that that's just how good he was. So let's let's think about this way, right? Because one of the one of the stats that a lot of people. Um, have been talking about is the the Tom Brady playoff wins, right? Tom Brady has 35 playoff wins um, in his career, which is, you know, what, what it is, like, objectively already is, is crazy, right? 35, he's been in the league. He was in the league for 22 years, 20 years. Um, he started 10 of those years. They made the Super Bowl, <laughs> which is insane. Uh, seven of those years they won. Um, and then only one of those years he didn't make the playoff. So playing 22 years, 35 or 20 years starting really. And we're talking about 19 trips for 35 wins. Mahomes, who we can all say like has won a t- like Mahomes. This is his fourth year. He's eight and two in the playoffs. He already has eight playoff wins. Think about how many more games and playoff wins Patrick Mahomes needs to have to even sniff where Tom Brady is at. If he's averaged yep. two, he's averaged two playoff wins a year through his first four years in the, in, in the NFL. If he keeps that same pace, he has to play for quick math here, another 12 years and do that at that same pace for the next 12 years. Do I have that about right? Twelve uh, times yes. two is twenty. No, twenty-four. Yeah, tw- yeah. So to even kind of be in that way, same ballpark, it's twelve to fifteen years at the same pace that he's already done it, at, which is at the same an unbelievable pa- pace to start. And that record, by the way, is having only played in the wild card round five times. Yes. Five. Yeah. So he had to play one less. Yeah, one less game, which for him you would think, oh, that's good because it's going to increase his, you know, his stats. But ultimately, is more of a testament as to just how dominant he's been. I mean, to to think that Mahomes is going to continue on this stretch for the next thirteen years, and then all of a sudden he would be in that conversation with, um, you know, uh, Tom Brady, is so absurd. Like. That and it goes again to, to Belichick and stuff too, but that level of consistency, the dominating, you know, especially after those first three Super Bowls were so such different teams. I, I got caught up on um, Man in the Arena after he retired because I was a little nostalgic and I was four or five episodes behind. So I went and I watched all the other episodes back to back to back, and you really start to like realize in the way his family talks about him and, and the, the episodes of Giselle and stuff, like he's a really likable guy. And I know that sounds crazy. And even like the deflate gate episode, like it was obviously clear they were heavily defending Tom Brady and with all deflate gate, uh, at least that part of the documentary. 
but it was still objectively fascinating. And the stuff with his mom, when he was going, you know, going through like his mom was like holding on to life basically, and just got healthy enough for her to be able to go to the Super Bowl against Atlanta. And their whole family was there. And I'd forgot about it when he's standing on the stage after they made the comeback in 28 to three. And he's like in like borderline in tears, like staring out and looking at his family and like pointing to them across the field. Then it's like, this dude is just a, he's just a different cat, man. He's just, you know, people always say built different, man. Anyone who says built different is not actually built different. Like Tom Brady. Tough. (laughs) Tom Brady is arguably the greatest athlete of our lifetime, including Michael Jordan. Like team sport wise. Yeah. You know, because I think Tiger's run is up there, but even still like Tiger still doesn't have the record for majors. Like for as amazing and incredible as Tiger Woods was. And, and obviously we saw him come back and do it. Like, Tom Brady has all of that and every record. Tom Brady has the insane stats and every record. And over the course of time with how football's changed, like he still played in that era where they ran the ball so much and passing wasn't what it was, and he evolved through it. So his numbers will ultimately get surpassed at some point by, by quarterbacks, I would imagine. But he's going to hold on to it for a long time, and we're just never going to see somebody do this again. We're never going to see somebody no. go that fifth. It was a coin flip. For 20 years, a coin flip as to whether or not Tom Brady would be playing in the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's that's insane. That's mind boggling. In um, the hardest sport to do it in, nonetheless. Yeah, we just saw yeah, Cincinnati sure. rebuild in two years to go to the Super Bowl. That shit happens all the time. To be a constant, you can win a Super Bowl, and then we saw with the Eagles last year, right? You, you the Chicago, I saw tweeted out on the NFC championship game, or it was like the anniversary of whenever their last uh, trip to the Super Bowl was the one against the Colts in 2005, um, 2008. Yeah. It was the 07, 08 year. Um, but they showed like the, the caption that the bears Twitter account put out was like the last time we had a reason to be happy. And it's like they were – because that's how fucking fat – it's like Ferris Bueller. Like, life comes at you pretty fast. And so you you, you have to appreciate when you're in these good times. And yet we're looking at the Patriots right now and, like, Pats fans, and Tom Brady just brought greatness with him anywhere he went. It's it's unbelievable. And I know that people hate him because people hate people who are good and successful and win a lot, but – I just have nothing but admiration for the dude, man. Honestly, that's that's what I'm saying, man. I, I told you I hit a point five ish years ago where I was like, you know what? There's too much crap going on in the world, too much hate. And as a sports fan, I feel like I've taken a step of maturity to be like, you know what? I'm not going to hate the guy that's winning all the time. I'm just going to sit back and watch him be great. Yeah. Because. I don't have time to, to dwell in, in hatred and mediocrity. Like, just enjoy it while it's here because now it's gone. And I'm like, what am I going to do now? Yeah. Hope that the Niners make it to the Super Bowl. That's not happening anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> I just, by the way, Mahomes is actually eight and three. The, the article I had was from before their loss to Cincinnati. Um, and they were seven and one in Arrowhead, which the only other loss was the Tom Brady one. So three, eight and three, just clarifying that. Um, but you're, you're exactly right. And I don't know if it's working among 
like working in the media, like the Eagles, like I'm obviously always going to be a fan for those three hours. I say that every time three and a half mm-hmm. hours football game on, I'm a lunatic. I let my full fandom fly and then game's over. All right. Back to just trying to be objective, you know, football, Jeff. And even still, I go back and try to, you know, make sure that my actual analysis isn't affected by bias. But I also think just being in that space, I, I try to look at everything in sports just objectively, you know, and some things I'm not, but for the most part, I can do a good job of it. And with Tom Brady, there has to just be an overwhelming just respect for what he does. Like, I get the hate thing, and I probably would have hated him more if the Eagles lost to them in 2017. But at some point, you just got to look at the guy and just be like, you're just so fucking great. Mm -hmm. I've had the same thing with Roger Federer, right? And Rafa Nadal, I've always been a fan of Rafa versus, like, Fed. I used to hate Fed when I was a kid. And then I hit a point, like, I was just like, why? Like, we just, we need to do a better job. They both be? <laughs> like, I've been getting really mad at NFL fans recently, just like from shit I see on Twitter. And I know they're just trolls and they're fucking losers. John T6789, you know, whatever their random at is. But the, the egg do, is their profile picture. Yeah, with yeah, the Twitter eggs, basically, which I don't think they do anymore. Um, they should bring that back. That was more embarrassing to be called an egg. <laughs> but I do think that we do such a terrible job of fans at putting down our personal feelings aside and just appreciating it because sports is an outlet for so many people in a lot of different ways. You have a shitty week at work, you come home and then your favorite team loses and they get the shit kicked out of them. Then you go into work and you're still pissed off. Like we let it happen to us. And then people go onto Twitter and and say terrible things about other people. And like, like that's how we manifest it. Because we, we let ourselves get so emotionally connected, which is the beauty of sports. It's one of the things I love about it. But I also think that, like, I'm an obsessive, crazy person when the Eagles are playing. But I can also, like, be rational. Yeah. So, like, can have why, is it, why is it so – yeah, exactly. Why is it so hard to be able to do both things? Like, why does Mina Kimes have to need all of sports media to go out and defend her against some fucking asshole like Jeff Garcia or even just the other random trolls that do it on a weekly basis? Like – like, why are you so insecure? It's a fucking game. It's football. Like, just watch it. And when someone's amazing at it, love it and be like, thank you, Tom Brady, for entertaining me for all of these fucking years. Like, the NFL, dude, did you see what the ratings were for the AFC and NFC championship games? No. 49.8 and 49.6 million people apiece. Oh, you think the 49ers would have won? Like, oh, 4.9. I got you. Um, But like, that's just the grip that the NFL has (laughs) on the country when it comes to sports. And yet we want to do everything in our power to take shits down its fucking chest. And it drives me so nuts. I'm just like, can we just, can we just watch it and be like, wow, Patrick Mahomes is really good at football. Like the way that we responded to the Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes game, where it's just like, I love both of these people. And, both of them are great, and I'm sorry that somebody had to lose. Why can't we have that appreciation for all of football? Except we like we limited ourselves just to the unbelievable special moments. But like, I try to do that in the regular season when an amazing play happens. I'm just like, holy shit, that's amazing. Even if it's from Trevor fucking Lawrence, like you yeah. know, on the worst team in football, like I still 
value that. And yet we're just in a place where it's like Tom Brady. Well, he's won a lot. So fuck that guy. I'm like, you're watching the greatest athlete of all time. If you like football, you should like what you're watching. You know, yep. if your own team's losing to him directly, I get it. But like, be better. <laughs> yeah. But Still, if you're one I of mean, the, that's my argument. <laughs> yeah. When you're one of the 30 other fan bases that's just watching it objectively, why? Just watch it because it's awesome. But as we've yeah. learned, that's not what sells, right? You need the villain, right? And if you're the good guy, that's the old, the, the quote from the Joker or Michael Caine, whoever sees it, but like, you know, you start off the hero or you die hero or you, you know, stay alive long enough to see yourself become the villain or whatever. Like, that's how we treat sports stars. It's like, ah, Steph Curry, everybody loves him. Well, he's won three championships. Well, fuck Steph Curry and he's, he's ruining basketball and blah, 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 and all this other shit. Yeah. Like, can, you, can we just watch awesome things and say that they're awesome and just move on? Like, that seems like such a simple solution here. And yeah, maybe that'll help us all get along too. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, the other aspect <laughs> of the Brady thing I want to hit with you before we take a, our la- uh, another break. Um, did you see the stuff with the New England fans in his retirement post? Did you see the backlash? Oh, they were ticked off that he didn't say anything about the Patriots and the nine pages of instagram he did nine fuck i don't know if it was nine but he did like several screenshots yeah it was it was like a full thing and thanked everybody under the sun when he announced his retirements and did not mention a single thing about the patriots not the fans not robert Kraft, not bill belichick not any of his old teammates and new england fans went fucking bonkers and it was delightful yeah i mean first bought no offense to anyone who's a Boston fan in this uh, that listens to this podcast, but y'all are crazy, okay? <laughs> like irrationally crazy. Just putting that out there, and I think you know that as as a Boston fan, right? So uh, it's not it's not news. Um, I don't think a that Brady owed that because he did that on his way out of New England anyway when he went to Tampa Bay, and b like everyone knows what he did for that franchise. He was thanking the people closest to him at the time of his retirement. When he gets to the, a gold jacket in five years, it will all be fine. It'll settle itself. He'll thank everyone from New England and everyone that helped him along the way and all of that. So it's fine. I, what are you pissed off about? Chill out. Okay. Two years from now, Steph Curry's a free agent, and he signs with the Philadelphia 76ers. Okay. And he goes off and he wins a title with Embiid. Okay. And he plays another season, maybe two, doesn't win another title. Retires as a Sixer. You're going to tell me that you're not going to be pissed if Steph Curry sent out a long thank you message and didn't bring up Golden State? I'm not going to feel slighted. Didn't even mention it. I'm not going to feel slighted. I know what he did for us. I know how he feels about oh, this franchise. No, Win, Scotty. lose, or draw. Yeah. I you would be so mad. No, I would not. Yes, you I, would. I really wouldn't. I really wouldn't because I know I know in his heart of hearts that he would, res- has, would respect the franchise enough to know that all of us behind him for those many years know how he feels about the the Warriors franchise and in, in Brady's case the the Patriots franchise and when he gets again to to Canton in Brady's case or or uh, 
Uh, uh, Secaucus. Yeah, for the for the uh, basketball Hall of Fame. I think that's for the basketball. For, Hall of Fame. In Curry's case, it's like I know that that that's going to be behind all of the the emotion and Bullshit. gratitude that he has. Bullshit. It's, no, it's not, dude. You would, it's not. You, you wouldn't be furious, but you would definitely be like, you would definitely have feelings about it. Absolutely, you would. I, okay, yeah. I don't think I will. I, I, I really, I am. I really don't. I really I think would. that I would. I, I'm saying like, I, I, of course I, you do. <laughs> wholeheartedly, I would. Wholeheartedly, I would. And I, I just don't believe you. I just, I know you. Like, I know you. I know you would deep down be upset about. It. You no, might man. say the right thing, but deep down, you know it would bug you. No. It definitely would. No. If Steph Curry did nine pages of Philly, you're the best fans ever. Doc Rivers, I've never learned so much from a coach in my life. Like, I love you and thank you for working with me. Joel Embiid, one of the greatest players of all time. Just goes on and on. Philly fans, never a greater fan base. You guys welcome me with open arms. All of this. Oh, if he said greater fan base, now, now we've got a problem. All right, but even if he doesn't say that, if if he showered Philly with a million compliments and and Joel Embiid and the coaching staff and you know talking about the you know the ball boys and all the other little details and everything else like Brady did, and then just completely ignores everything about Golden State, Draymond, Clay, Steve Kerr, you know, the fans themselves, you would absolutely be upset about. It. If if it if it became a big deal like this did, like if it became a deal on Twitter, like if you were in a remote island and you just got that notification, it probably wouldn't bug you. But if you saw like other people were upset about it, you would definitely be like, yeah, you know what? This is bullshit. I don't want to live on a planet where Steph Curry is on the Warriors. So, um, I mean, that's just your whole argument there. <laughs> uh, so the other thing here, um before we, we go to break about this specific thing is, is I did see there are some blue check marks um, that are saying that he's going to sign a one day contract with new England and retire as officially retire. Cause if you notice, he did not say retire. And the other thing, and this is, I think the biggest, which should be the biggest sense of relief for Patriots fans. If you're upset about this, he didn't mention his former teammates in new England at all. And if there's, one thing that Brady I'm positive would do in, in an official farewell thing like that would be talk about his teammates. I, I really mm-hmm. do. And, and I'll say this too, for all the diehard Brady fans and Pats fans, if you haven't watched man in the arena, I'm telling you now there is like a love letter to new England built into episode nine. The last, when he wins the super bowl with um, the rent against the Rams in new England, like, there is a love letter written to New England. Same thing with uh, the, the Atlanta Falcons episode. So if, if you're upset, if you're bothered by it, watch that episode and you'll hear it directly from him. You know, maybe that's why he felt he didn't have to say anything because he's like, I already did it on the documentary or whatever. But again, I do think I would be shocked if he doesn't officially retire as a Patriot. But it was funny. Yeah. Bel- Belichick put out an official statement. And Tom Brady shared it, like screenshotted it and like shared it on his Instagram and like put like so thankful to have gotten to play for the greatest coach ever, 
you know, means the world, like, love you, Bill, and put, like, three heart emojis next to it. It's, like, super cringe. It's, I don't know, man. Yeah. Well, the greatest... All I know is is if I was a fan, if I was a fan, I would be upset by it. I just would. You would be. Yeah. If Michael Jordan retired as a wizard and never shouted out Chicago, I would be upset. The greatest would be too about Steph Curry. Of course, Uh, the greatest of Tom Brady facts uh, that I can surmise is uh, the fact that he was a 49ers fan and grew up in the greatest area in the entire world in the Bay Area. So take that world. You know, I have like I produced this. Like I can cut out what I want to cut yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. Throw it in there. Just make sure quality. You don't listen to it either, so <laughs> you don't even know what I cut out. Uh, true. I just cut out all of Scott when he's on the pop. <laughs> Probably best. He is from the Bay Area. Uh, he is. He is the goat. Uh, he will be missed, and uh, the future of the NFL, though is in good hands and more and more talented quarterbacks come out that are more and more talented every single year. Uh, you can take a quick break, come back. We're going to hit the new hires. We've got three new ones. The Washington football team has a new name. Spoiler alerts. It's terrible. And uh, the senior bowl is this week, which is a phenomenal event that we put on. And uh, in my opinion is actually the biggest, it, the biggest pre-draft event that we have. Um, because it says a lot, and there's a lot of really talented players you can find. So we'll get into all that on the other side as we wrap up the show. All right. So in the break, Scotty just straight up admitted when I said you would. I said to him in the break, I was like, "You would totally, absolutely be pissed off." And he goes, "Yeah, no, I totally would if Steph Curry did that." Just speak your mind, man. It's the podcast. We're allowed to be honest. We are. <laughs> yes, this isn't Fox News. We are. We're allowed to tell the truth. Oh, we don't get paid enough. We don't get paid enough to lie on this podcast. (laughs) And by enough, I mean zero dollars. I wouldn't though. So in other NFL news, uh, we're going to hit a few different things here as we wrap up the pod. Um, There are three new head coaches that have been hired since we last talked about the uh, the coaching carousel with me and Vito last week. They are Kevin O'Connell, Los Angeles Rams offensive coordinator, going to the Minnesota Vikings. Josh McDaniels taking over for the Las Vegas Raiders. And as we talked about earlier, Brian Dayball hired as the head coach of the New York football giants. Um, Where do we want to start here? Because I kind of want to start with Minnesota because this is the one that came across last night. It's the most recent Um, Kevin O'Connell, offensive coordinator for the Rams. Another Sean McVay guy that tree gets bigger. Zach Taylor. Matt LaFleur, we're seeing this coaching tree is growing, right? Seemingly by the day, or at least by the year. Brandon um, Staley, too. Forget. Yeah, yeah. And Brandon Staley as well. Good point, Scotty. So this is now the fourth McVeigh head coach, I believe, that has taken on a, um, a coach of their own who was a former assistant. And it's a pretty impressive stretch. I mean, LaFleur, unbelievable. Zach Taylor's in the Super Bowl. Um, and, and Brandon Staley in his first year did pretty damn good too. And it seems like the Chargers there are a pretty promising team. So I'm not going to bash on the Kevin O'Connell thing here. Uh, there was some perceived backlash, at least online. Uh, a lot of people, because the scuttlebutt 
I don't know why I just used that word, but the scuttlebutt Good around uh, <laughs> his coaching job was that it was going to be Jim Harbaugh and that people within the University of Michigan were fully expecting Jim Harbaugh to leave. And the fact that he's coming back to the University of Michigan is honestly surprising. I, I thought once it got to the point where it was like the, univer- like the university is expecting it to happen, we all thought this was going to happen. And then kind of the 11th hour, Minnesota decides to go the other way was was an interesting call. And, and I'll tell you what, I actually don't, I don't hate it for Minnesota. Um, I think Jim, Har- do I. <laughs> Jim Harbaugh is a very specific kind of coach, right? And, and I think I actually thought like the Raiders was was like a great spot for him. Like I thought that was actually a really good opportunity um, because it's the right ownership. Uh, you know, we know with what we saw from Gruden, he was going to be given a lot of control. He was going to be able to do a lot of stuff that he wanted to do with the team. Uh, he was really going to be able to have his fingerprints all over whatever team he took over. And I, I, I mean, Seattle might be another one of those teams of Pete Carroll. I mean, I'm still surprised Pete Carroll hasn't gotten fired, but I guess they're oh, sticking on to him. Make that happen. Give me one more reason to hate Jim Harbaugh. Just I, one. I just mean like in terms of like cultural fit, I don't think there's a whole lot of like teams that it fits. And I don't think Minnesota's one oh, of those teams fits. either. Like I get, I get the the idea of like, Hey, take an established quarterback, like Minnesota and Vegas aren't that far away from one another, but there's something about that vibe. I just, I, it didn't seem like it made sense to me in my head. Yeah. Um, and so I actually kind of commend the Vikings for like, if they think they got the young guy who's unproven, I get that conventional wisdom would tell you, Hey, take the dude who's done nothing but win his whole career, which I mean, look, he's spent 19 seasons as a head coach in college in the NFL. The guy knows how to be a head football coach versus a guy in Kevin O'Connell who's never done it. But people laughed at Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor was the most like laughed at head coaching, you know, hire in the last like five years. And that now that dude's going to be coaching in a Super Bowl with the Cincinnati Bengals. And obviously Joe mm-hmm. Burrow made, makes a huge difference there. But Still, you got to have a leader. You got to take a chance, right? I mean, Green Bay did it with LaFleur. People thought it was a bad call. Um, And then the Chargers were even slightly different because they had this young top 10 pick in, you know, Justin Herbert that they were going to try to build around. I don't know what Minnesota does. I expect Kirk Cousins. There's a very good chance Kirk Cousins gets moved on from in the offseason. So maybe they're staring down a rebuild, um, which I think financially would probably be a good thing for them. They've been, you know, steadily at the top end of the cap for the last, you know, pretty much since Zimmer's been there and got the team going. So I don't know. That was just kind of my gut reaction. Obviously I know you're not a big hardball guy, but you also saw firsthand that hardball wins a lot of football games. He does. And helped that San Francisco team tremendously after uh, Tony was uh, uh, Sperano, right? Was the head Tony Sperano was the head coach before he took over. Do I have that right? Uh, who was the no. who was the guy who was there for one year? The offensive Wasn't, line coach. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I forgot the. It gap was Tony Spurrier after yeah. Singletary? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I I agree with you that I don't think it was the right fit, um, like at all. I, and if I'm reading correctly, uh, they didn't even offer him after uh, he had left Minnesota, uh, which you would think, you know, after the interview, you'd be like, so when do you want to start? Uh, if you're going to bring Harbaugh in an interview, keep in mind too that that was also one of the 500 national signing days that we have now uh, that Harbaugh went and interviewed. Michigan sitting there in the top 10 still. Uh, they were the number eight class in the country heading into uh, signing day. 
yesterday was it yesterday or tuesday uh yesterday i think wednesday and yeah. uh yeah and um and so that had to be not only a factor in maybe the vikings thinking that harbaugh wasn't fully in uh or maybe harbaugh himself really wasn't fully in and he was still thinking about you know the recruiting uh, aspect of it at michigan because that's still where he yeah. uh, gets a paycheck from but like I even all that notwithstanding, I think it, it, you're absolutely right. It was not the right fit. Uh, neither were the 49ers, quite frankly. Uh, I know, uh, look, he has a history of winning. That's what he does. Uh, he got us to a Super Bowl. And but at the, at the time, it made a lot of sense. Like when he was in, yeah. when he was at Stanford and he wanted to move to the NFL, like this, the, the San Francisco thing actually made sense when they hired him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. It was the, the up and coming guy who does. Did things differently. And he's like, up in Northern California. He's doing yeah. the Stanford thing, Andrew Luck, all that. Like, I actually think that that made a lot of sense for him when he made that move. And I thought San Francisco like needed that. Cause he also got to remember too, like it was still a risk. Like he was at San Diego, mm-hmm. uh, San Diego university for two years before taking the Stanford job. And so he went from FCS to FBS in one jump and became the head coach at, at Stanford. And, he was there. I think he was at Stanford for four seasons. So, four. so and like he was he, in the playoff conversation for, or uh, no, that was before the play. Yeah. No, it was during the playoff. But I mean, he had a Heisman he had, candidate, you know, quarterback. It was, they were top five, top ten, and team. running back Toby Gerhardt. Yeah. If you Toby Gerhardt was there, and he <laughs> recruited Christian McCaffrey, and McCaffrey stayed yep. along when um, uh, David Shaw took over as the head coach as well. I mean, like Jim Harbaugh is just a, he's just a really good. Had, he's just a really good coach, but at the time, like if this, if if the Vikings were going after Stanford, John Harbaugh, I I would bet that they that they would have hired him. But it's the fact that yeah. there is a certain amount of baggage that comes along with Harbaugh that isn't necessarily bad, but it just it's just his aura. It's just him, you know. It's just his overall kind of vibe. And you, you, when you take him on, it's almost like Gruden, you know, he's kind of become the new Gruden in some ways, um, which is crazy. Cause even like at least Gruden had won the Super Bowl, you know, with Tampa Bay. So I, I don't know. I, I look at Harbaugh now and everything that comes with him and it just didn't seem like a good fit. And, and I think every indication out of Harbaugh's side and the Michigan side was that he was gone. Like if the offer came in, he was gone. And so this to me feels like it fell more on Minnesota being like, you know what? Like we're actually good. We're going to go take a chance on a guy. We, we both love the new GM, uh, the guy who was the assistant GM in Cleveland. Um, and they're, they're going to try to build something from scratch, which I think makes sense. I think it would have been tough to have a first year GM going with a personality like Harbaugh. Instead, you're going to have first year GM, first year head coach. Is it a gamble? Definitely. But the hope is that, you know, the gamble pays off and that you're you're investing in young talent that's going to work together and come up with something good. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Josh McDaniels hired as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. You said you had some thoughts on it, so I'll give you the floor first and I'll, I'll save my stuff for after. We talked about the Raiders always making that splash hire. That's all this is. It's a name. It's a name because he was under Belichick and he had the thing a couple of years ago with Indianapolis where he was hired, then he backed out, and then he stayed with New England ostensibly because he was the heir apparent to Bill Belichick, uh, and now he's he's made the splash move to, to go to Vegas. 
I don't think he's that great as a coach in terms of, you know, leaders. Like, that offense didn't look very good over the last, I'd say, even five years, including with Tom Brady. Tom Brady's what made that offense click. Uh, and now they're just working with mostly spare parts and a rookie quarterback. It's like, I don't know. I it's it's nothing it's nothing spectacular to me that he's doing. And now all of a sudden he's he's the the big the hot name and the the splash head coach just because he was under Belichick. And look, Belichick's guys have been successful before. Look at Nick Saban. So uh, well, Belichick just, has a, has a horrendous history of former assistants being head coaches. Josh McDaniels being one of them, and his failed time in Denver. I could not disagree with you more on this, actually, Scotty, because I think we've moved past the point of Josh McDaniels being the splash hire. Josh McDaniels was the splash hire when he went to Denver for the first time. And by the way, took Tim Tebow to the with Tim Tebow to the playoffs and then won a game on the overtime play against Pittsburgh, right? Um, so I think in a lot of ways, I understand the McDanielson didn't work out. He was a little Lane Kiffin-esque, a little too young, a little too immature. And now we're looking, staring down a guy who's well into his 40s, uh, went back to New England and, and took his medicine and, and learned again. Uh, he's a guy who took teams to the playoffs. So, he, you know, he's not a hands-down awful head coach, right? We're not talking about some terrible head coach. You're a guy who's had some success and some levels of success. I really love this decision by the Raiders. I think Jim Harbaugh is more of a splashy hire. You know, I think if they wanted to go that route, then they would have gone with Jim Harbaugh. I think Josh McDaniels is the perfect hire, right? Because look at his mentor. Bill Belichick was the head coach in Cleveland. That didn't work out, right? Got them to the playoffs, still didn't work out. He ends up leaving and ends up being the head coach of the New England Patriots after the whole New York Jets thing or whatever, and then inevitably goes on to be the greatest coach of all time. Now, I'm not saying that's what McDaniels is going to be, but it's clear that Belichick from his first head coaching stint to a second one learned a ton. And Josh McDaniels absolutely learned a ton from his first stint as a head coach. It's been a long time. He ends up turning down the, the Colts job, even though it was right there. And, ultimately ends up becoming, you know, going, going back, staying in new England, learning more, worked with a di two different types of quarterback, Cam Newton and Mac Jones. And you're right. That offense wasn't doing a ton, but it's more than that when you're a head coach. And I think he was able to establish a culture his first couple of years in Denver, which is why they had some success, the sustainability aspect of it and the way that he rubs off on players, that aspect of it, was no was not a part of it. And now we're talking about Josh McDaniels getting a chance with a pretty good team, a team that just made the playoffs this year, an established quarterback he's going to be able to work with, and a new GM and a new front office and in a city like Las Vegas that, you know, if you're looking to replace it, I think it adds stability. I think it's a fantastic hire. And I'm very, very curious to see what he ends up doing. And I'm also very curious to hear Vito's thoughts on it. You know, Vito someone who rooted for him as a, as a head coach for several years. And so I would love to hear his thoughts. But you got to remember, since he was a head coach, he coached in the, uh, the, the Falcons Super Bowl. 
He coached in the Eagles Super Bowl. He coached in the Rams Super Bowl. And he helped lead and called plays for the greatest comeback in the history of the Super Bowl and history of the NFL playoffs. He helped coach Tom Brady to the greatest stat line that any quarterback has ever had in a Super Bowl in the Super Bowl against the Eagles. That was also the number one most yards in, in, in the history of the NFL. And then he also found out a way to, you know, with with ailing, you know, older Tom Brady and older beat up Gronk to squeak out a Super Bowl against a fucking legit and, and salty defense in the Rams in 2019-2020. So I, I love the hire. And I think the experience, he took his time. He waited for what he feels is the right job. And I mean, with Vegas as a free agent destination, like I think we're going to see that this more, right? Like, especially now that, remember, they made the switch in the middle of COVID. So there's going to be a whole lot more to love about Vegas as a destination spot as the years go on. I think McDaniels is a home run. Yeah. I just feel bad for a guy like Passaccia who worked so hard to get that team where it was. Uh, especially after the tumultuous year that they had, and then uh, and then they bring in uh, McDaniel's, just uh, just a bummer. Sorry, Basaccia. That is a bummer, <laughs> and I believe Basaccia interviewed for the Jaguars job. Um, but it is an absolute bummer, and it's going to be a challenge, I think, to to win over the people in the locker room. But I think McDaniel's holds holds weight. You know, and and I think he's going to end up being, um, you know, being an important part. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's um, it's an interesting hire. And the thing is, Scotty, even though we see it different ways, either outcome wouldn't be overly surprising for me. If he was great, wouldn't be surprising. If he was terrible, wouldn't be surprising. So I'm just excited to see kind of what he ends up doing. Um, mm-hmm. And then the last one since we last met was Brian Dable being named the head coach of the New York Giants. Now, all of the Brian Flores stuff aside, this is the guy that I did not want the New York Giants to hire as an Eagles fan. As an Eagles fan, this was the guy that I did not want to see happen. Now, I do still think, you know, like Jacksonville or, you know, Chicago should have taken a chance on Dable. You have a young quarterback, raw, needs some polishing. He just did it with Josh Allen. He seems like the perfect guy to go to a place like Chicago. Chicago decides not to go that direction, and that's their own, you know, prerogative. But I love this hire. I still don't know. I mean, I don't think Danny Dimes is is in it for the long run. I would expect the Giants to, you know, at least posture for a quarterback this year, whether it's in the draft or in free agency. I think they're going to go out and grab somebody to compete with Danny Dimes. Um, but I think it's a great, great hire, and – pairing up your head coach with the same, you know, GM from your assistant GM from the team he was just on. You have a previous working relationship. I think it's really smart. Um, and again, all of the Brian Flores stuff aside, just judging these hirings as what they are. I, I think it's, I think it's a really good hire. You know, I, I really think it does. I, I think it is. Yeah. I, the, what he did for that offense in, uh, in Buffalo, look the the man is a brilliant mind, uh, <clears throat> and so I have no doubts that uh, that he can be a guy who turns around. And look, he went with his GM in Buffalo, in Buffalo to the uh, downstate to uh, to Manhattan to be with the uh, the New York Giants. Uh, and so, if 
they already have that relationship. I think that part is what's scarier is that the, the coach and the head coach and the GM are, now, are that synced up already. Uh, and, and they, they had built uh, what we think is probably one of the, the better franchises up and coming franchises in the, uh, in the AFC, if not the NFL uh, writ large. So uh, I, I think it's a home run. I really do. Uh Oddly enough, the talent on that team is not that bad. Offensive line is horrific, and obviously that's where they spent a lot of time um, in Buffalo over the last couple of years, building up to protect Josh Allen and let him run and be able to throw the ball. So um, it, I think that's good. Obviously has to be your focus. Uh, you know, uh, the defense is, is okay and can get better, but that. You know, and then on top of that, you've got Saquon, um, who's still, uh, you know, for all his injuries, still one of the most uh, electric backs in the league. When he has a good offensive line, I've seen when he's had a decent offensive line, and yeah. he's pretty damn good when he does. So, um, <clears throat> look, if you can squeeze the the last few years out of out of his prime and his contract as a running back, um, and and build around the offensive line, and then obviously. The, uh, the big hole at quarterback, uh, I, I think he's the kind of guy who can who can turn uh, the franchise from not just a, a, the perennial losers that they've been over the past few years, but a team that's so used to, or a franchise that's so used to winning back into a winner. Um, yeah. and, and that's the division to do it in, too. And, and they have a lot of work, right? Because they're – they're built like a team that should be able to win right away if they had a, a good offensive line and a quarterback, which I get is asking a lot, but it's like they have everything else set up around them except yeah. for the quarterback and the offensive line. Those are the two things that they yeah. really need to kind of get sorted out before we can consider them a legitimate contender. Uh, the biggest question for them and, and for Dayball too, and honestly for the majority of coaches who take over a situation is do you have a quarterback? And the Giants are in as bad of a position at the at, at quarterback as we have in the NFL. And I know that people, they're still Danny Dimes believers, but this is a bad class of quarterbacks. And I don't know what the Giants end up doing, which I, do the Giants have their first round? I think the Giants have their first round pick this year. Um, but they need help on the offensive line. You know, their defense is not bad. You're right. Like Martina is getting hurt earlier in the season at linebacker, like really, really hurt them. Um, but everyone else, like on that defense, especially on the defensive line, Leonard Williams, like they have some guys who can play. It's the offensive line is terrible, but they're good at skill position, at the wide receiver position, at the running back position. They just don't have a quarterback. You know, Kyle Rudolph was playing tight end for him. So that's, and Evan Ingram. So that's obviously positions that you would like to be able to invest in. Um, but I think Evan Ingram tore his ACL before the season this year. Anyways, I don't think Evan Ingram actually played. So, you, you add in the you, – you have the outside pieces, but is there a trade for an Eli Manning? Or sorry, Eli Manning, for a Russell Wilson? <laughs> Whoa, it, you know, splash trade. It's just, yeah, huge <laughs> trade. Is there a trade for, for Russell Wilson? Is there a trade for Aaron Rodgers, right? Like, is there something in there? Look, Even, like, there's reports that, like, Tannehill or that Rodgers might consider uh, Tennessee. So, like, if Rodgers – wants to go there is there a way to get you know Tannehill to new york i don't know like if, if there's an immediate if there's a moderate upgrade at quarterback or even just a pretty significant upgrade at quarterback the talent around him should be good enough to at least win more than four games 
you know? And so I think that's kind of where the giants are at. And I think Dable, again, another guy who coached in new England and coached under Belichick for a long time. And then was an offensive coordinator in Buffalo and saw how they built that team. You know, I, my guess is that they're going to try to extend that out as much as possible, right? Try to get the most juice out of it, you know, really get the team ready before you're thinking like championship or even like division titles. Cause I do think they're kind of far away and, and, you know, like a Kenny Galladay yeah. contract is horrible. You know, they drafted, well, they drafted last thing, but they drafted uh, uh, Tony and uh, well, I can't remember his first name, Kadarius Tony. And mm-hmm. um, they also signed uh, Kenny Galladay in the off season. Neither one of them had a touchdown this year, zero touchdowns and less than a thousand yards between the two. And they have $60 million invested in Kenny Galladay and a first round pick in Kadarius Tony. You got to be better than that. And so they do have some holes they need to work on and and they're probably still a couple years away, but I don't know if it's this year, next year, if they trade out, but they, they got to get quarterback figured out before we can really judge Dable. But I I like the hire as of now. Yeah, me too. And I agree. Look, you're going to have to take time, but you also have to consider how many more legit, uh, superstar level years do I have out of stake one uh how much more do I have left in the tank at that level for Kenny Galladay mm-hmm. uh <clears throat> things like that and even if you do make a trade uh to get a guy like Rogers or Wilson you're gonna have to give up a lot so you have to obviously weigh what you're giving up and be like how much what's my return on investment there how what kind of production am I going to get out of those two aging guys uh with the other you know core group that's also aging around them so uh I don't know that that's a difficult position and uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in it because yeah, it's <laughs> going to be a challenge, a lot of money too. For it's going to be a challenge, yeah. a lot of money. And, and I think they have some, some financial boo-boos they need to figure out here, but yeah, it'll be a fun team to follow. Um, last two things I want to get to here before we wrap up the pod, obviously we'll, we'll keep everybody updated. The more we hear um, Tuesday's pod will be bangles. Thursday's pod or Friday's pod will be uh, Rams and then Super Bowl preview. Or maybe we'll just split Tuesday's pod in half and we'll do, let's do that instead. We'll do team full team previews on Tuesday and Thursday or Tuesday of, uh, of both teams. Um, so before we get into that, but if we do hear more coaching stuff, obviously we will squeeze that into Tuesday's pod as well. Um, the Washington football team has a new name. Yeah. How about Washington, that? The Washington commanders. Well, it's better um, than being racist, so that's true. You know, it's already that what it's worth. already an upgrade <laughs> from the old name. Uh, yeah, but is it an upgrade from the current name? I don't think it is. I think it's a terrible name. I don't know, man. It's the jerseys are cool. Did you see those? I don't think they're cool at all. I think they look the, awful. The kits are fire. The kits are fire. I think the uh, kits no. are not fire. <laughs> I think the I think the kits are in, are in a in a freezer somewhere. I think it's terrible. Like, I don't get me wrong. Like, here's what's going to happen. All that matters is that you win. And even still, all that matters is time. Think about the Cleveland Guardians getting ripped to shreds, right? Everybody made fun of the Cleveland Guardians. Oh, God, this name's hilarious, stupid, whatever. I didn't mind it. I thought it was a cool connection to the city, but it is what it is. They moved on from it, and no one's even talking about it. And then when baseball inevitably at some point, hopefully, starts up and being played, we're going to notice it in June, in July. Right. And we're going to laugh. And then all of a sudden we're going to forget about it. We're going to get used to it because we did the same thing two years ago when the Washington football team 
was became their name, right? We laughed at it. We thought it was silly. And then by the by the time we got to this week, we're like, no, I kind of like the Washington football team. It's grown on me. The commanders. And it'll take, yeah, it'll take time to get the colloquialism too, right? Like I hear people, we live in the area, right? Yeah. So there's obviously people that use the old team name, not the football team, but the the, the other one. Um, just because that's, you know, they've been doing it for so long. Yeah. And grew up with that name, right? So it's going to take time for that to cycle through the. I just I, the generation. WFT looked good, you know. It was it was unique. I, I just the Washington Commanders. It sounds like when you would when you would do like the create a team and like early versions of Madden, you know, and you could like create your own team and like come up with this shitty look. Yeah, <laughs> like that's what it sounds like. like. It's just it's cheesy. It's bad. The connection to the city, I guess, is like the commander in chief. Like that's what it's yeah, like the Pentagon like or DC. something. Yeah, I think that's yeah. stupid as shit. It's minimalist you know, at best. They should have done just, the uh, the uh, the World War Two one, the uh, the Tuskegee Airmen, the Red Tails. The Red Tails would have been sick, and the Red Wolves would have been sick. But there were all these copyright issues, and I'm like, "You're Dan Snyder, just fucking buy it." Well, just yeah. <laughs> a million, two million. What do you need? I'll cut the check right now. Get it done. But like even in something that would be so easy and simple for him to do, he's not doing. And instead of picking a terrible name. And oh, by the way, more allegations came out in the legal stuff that that got continued today. Shocking that they scheduled the PR announcement for the new the new name literally a day apart from when he was going to have to be back in court, or at least the um, the suit against him would would continue. Yeah. It, it's just Guys, look what I did. <laughs> <laughs> but the commanders it's pretty cool no it's terrible it's terrible and i have friends who are washington football team fans and i think I, I think what i've decided is i'm just going to forever call them the washington football team yeah that's fair call them what you want call them crap because that's what they are i saw i had a funny tweet and i don't normally say that about myself because i don't think my tweets are always that funny but i did have a funny tweet where <laughs> the uh washington commanders twitter account said like no more new name jokes. Got it. And I responded. I was like, I retweeted it and responded and said, I was like, yeah, but our bad name jokes still on the table. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you, you want to make you no more new name jokes. Fine. We can just switch over to how terrible the one that y'all picked was, but I do feel yeah. bad. Cause like, look, a lot of people, the <laughs> amount of work that it takes to overhaul something like that from a PR, from a social media standpoint, like I don't think people realize how much of an, how much effort goes into it. So for the people on the front lines, people who are very like people I would have gone to school with in the same major as me, sports management, working in that world, they, it's a shitload of work. So I do, this is not to make fun of those people whatsoever. I'm just, I wish, I wish you guys had picked a better name. It's just, it's a terrible name. It is. Sorry. Any other thoughts? Can we? Well, I, I had suggested long ago, if you wanted to relate it to the government in Washington, you should call them the Washington Red Tape. And that's the podcast, everybody. Thanks for... Um... <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible. Uh, I, and the funny thing is, is the second you started, I knew exactly where you were going. I knew exactly <laughs> that that was the joke you were going to make. Bureaucracy uh, joke. Uh, all right. Oh, Red Tape. Thanks, Dad. Um, the last thing I want to touch on here is just the senior bowl is going on this week. And as we were prepping, quite exciting. 
<laughs> within the next month, before you know it, it's going to be mock drafts every single, you know, monthly. We're going to be listening to Mel Tucker and Todd McShay in the first draft podcast, which is the best draft podcast uh, field Yates on there. So we're going to talk, we're going to get so into the draft and, and the start of NFL off season here in the next few weeks. And oh, um, we'll mock. this gets overlooked because of when it is, because it, you know, obviously the playoffs are still going on. We're getting ready for the Super Bowl, So people don't pay attention. The senior bowl, has produced some unbelievable players. Uh, the first time I really heard the name Debo Samuel buzz around, I knew him in college, but like really buzzing around teams was at the Senior Bowl. When, same you know, with coming, DK. Same thing with DK coming out of South Carolina. Well, people knew that the A.J. Brown and DK from the, the picture of the two of them when DK looked like a, like a fucking superhero. Um, but Debo, like kid from South playing at South Carolina, all of a sudden is like – and the Niners were the team that was, you know, because one the two worst NFL teams, their coaching staff to run the senior bowl. The Niners were one of the teams that year. And they saw firsthand, like, all right, this kid's gonna be sick. And they went out and got him. But this week as a whole, when you want to think about guys who are like, who are guys that can come help your team right away? The senior bowl are, are like chock full of guys like that. So just keep your yeah. eye out because more than the combine. More than so much of the pre-draft process, you know, outside of your literal game tape, there is no better indicator for future NFL success in the modern day than the senior bowl, because it's guys yeah. who really, really do love football, who've grinded, who've had to stay for four years, who weren't talented enough to get drafted as a, you know, as, as a, as a junior, like these guys are really, really special and unique. So, um, yeah. And there's a, there's a load of talent there, load of talent. Uh, look, I look at guys like Kobe Bryant, the defensive yeah. back from Cincinnati. Who, Maude Gardner uh, there as well. Yeah. If, if he was at, if, if Kobe was at any other school, he'd be like, oh, top five DB because like he's that good. But he was at a school where he, they had two In DBs Cincinnati, yeah. playing alongside him at Cincinnati. That well, are yeah. be like a, and Ahmad Gardner's, Ahmad Gardner's like the better of the two of them, but Kobe Bryant could also easily be like, a top like they both could be top 10 probably both will be top yeah. 10 quarterbacks yeah draft. and that's on Not that's in the on top the national. 10 but of the top 10 quarterbacks yeah draft. yeah that's on no the question. national and then obviously a shout out there sick uh five penn staters uh three castro fields at db arnold Ebikiti, who's an unbelievable uh pass rusher uh jesse lucetta uh linebacker jordan stout one of the best punters in the league john dotson who's probably going to be in the first round as a wide receiver and then last shout out is to uh, our a very own listener of ours, Grant Calcaterra, playing tight end for the American oh, is he in the, the Super Senior Bowl. Senior Bowl? How about that? that. Yeah. Hey, shout out to Grant. The read option being congratulations, repped. Grant. The read options being repped in the uh, in the Senior Bowl. That's incredible. Shout out to Grant. Uh, that's fantastic that we have uh, that we have him there. Um, and the last thing I'll add on the Senior Bowl too: five out of the top six quarterback recruits are all there. Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, Pickett, yeah. Um, uh, Bailey Zappi, the Western Kentucky quarterback who broke Joe Burrow's passing records this year. Um, there's a few in there as well. Uh, the only notable one who's not there, Sam Howell's there, uh, is um, Matt Corral, who is still rehabbing from his ankle injury. He is not at the senior day or senior bowl. But if you want to take a look, like we've been talking about it a lot, these quarterbacks and what's this class going to look like? It's not as good as in That's past better, years. Too. Um, yeah, Spence, uh, Desmond Ritter. Thank you. He's the other one who was there that I, I couldn't remember of, of the top five guys, really. Um, 
so no Matt Corral, but other than that, everyone else is there. And I'll tell you this, we've been, our, the radio show has been live from the senior bowl all week and the weather has been shitty. And we've been talking a lot about like quarterbacks practicing in the rain, timing, ball slipping out of their hands, super windy. And the guy we talked about last year is the most talented quarterback by far. Malik Willis has shined to this point. Everyone else has been pretty good. Kenny Pickett's had some up and down stuff, a lot of obsession over his hand. He's double jointed in his throwing hands. So his hand measurements a little bit off and people are freaking out about it. But just remember sky in the lot. I in the sky don't lie forever game tape. And the senior bowl is a really good opportunity because the whole thing is like, it's like draft camp. Like you go there and they interview you and you're getting interviewed by NFL people all the time. And you're constantly making impressions and like everything you do from the second you get there from the second you leave is being evaluated. So it's a big deal. And a lot of really top end players have come out of the senior bowl. So keep an eye on that. Um, as, as we start to head towards NFL off season, RIP. Um, but before we do, we have a super bowl next week and we will, like I said before, we got you fully covered Bengals, Rams breakdowns on Tuesdays, and uh, on Thursday, we will figure out what we're going to do. We're going to do lots of prop bets, whole betting guide, preview the game, uh, and get you all ready. So persevere through this weekend. I think the Pro Bowl is this weekend. So if you really want to watch football, you have that at least. And uh, and stay tuned because we got more stuff coming on to preview the Super Bowl. So for Scotty, I'm Jeff. Have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe for those of you that are going to be hit by this storm. And we will talk to you all next week. Take it easy, everybody.